ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee Stud. The Tennessee Stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Please welcome the creator of the popular 605 podcast and the president of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, your co-host, the great Ryan Last. Hello again, friends. And welcome back to another edition of Ron Fuller's Studcast. I am the great Brian Last. It's my pleasure to be with you once again as the Tennessee Stud takes us down that road of wrestling history, sharing with us his tales and his anecdotes, as well as what's going on on Southeastern TV. But without any further ado, the man of the hour, the host of the Studcast, the legendary Tennessee Stud himself, Ron Fuller. Ron, how are you? I'm great, my man. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, feeling good. The old horse saddled up and uh, ready to roll again, man. Uh, got a good one today. So looking forward to it. I got to ask you real quick, Ron, before we get going. All these years later, do you ever, you know, wake up and just kind of miss the mustache? <laughs> I haven't had one in so long, man, I'll tell you the <laughs> truth. I think I'm now I'm thinking back. Oh yeah. I think I brought my mustache back again. Uh, I, I, I'm shaving it off, uh, in the last episode. And, uh, I believe I'm without a mustache until 1978 when I get ready to open up Southeastern and Pensacola and I go down there as a heel and I bring the old mustache back and, uh, I'm going to have it for a couple of years there, and, uh, and that's going to be my, about my last time to wear one after that. I'd say by 1981, I'm pretty well uh, without the mustache from there on. And you don't miss it at all? No, I really don't miss it. You know, I mean, <laughs> I had it for a long time, and uh, there's something about that bushy hair on your lip after a while that and uh, seems to get into your food and all kinds of crazy things. And I was like, well, you know, I kept thinking about cutting it off several times before. And so I didn't really wear that mustache uh, that long in my career for the first four years, five years, uh, and then maybe a couple of years in the late seventies. And that was just about the end of that for me. I might get back someday to doing the whole beard now, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe that's a different look and a different feel entirely. Yes, it's very in nowadays, but we will get going with more of the tales of Ron without his Fu Manchu in a moment. But real quick here at the top of the show, want to mention Super Studcast number 21 out right now with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. So many people have gotten in touch and said that they were surprised how much they enjoyed this. I don't know what that says. But they really, really have enjoyed this. I know we enjoyed it. We had a great time after we were done. We said, wow, that was a lot of fun. Check it out today. We talk about a lot of lighthearted issues, a lot of serious issues. 
like the parasailing accident in 1990 that almost ended his life. Hear more about this with Brutus the Barber Beefcake, tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. More about that later in the show. But Ron, where are we going this week on the show? Well, we're going to begin uh, my baby face turn from Southeastern. Uh, and in uh, the last uh, last week's episode, we'll back up a little bit and start with just a little uh, recap for that. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at the first two weekends of August 1975. The big angles that I'm working on TV with the assassin and rock hunter and myself that uh, supports those cards of uh, August 1st and August 8th. Uh, and we're going to discuss those cards, obviously, and the results and the payoffs and uh, the things that we normally do. Uh, we're going to crown the first ever Southeastern TV champion and present him with a huge television championship trophy. Uh, that will happen uh, in the next episode after this. And a new heel team, uh, Carl Von Steiger and Otto Von Heller, managed by Sam Bass, is arriving and becoming part of the crew. And my brother, Robert Fuller, is uh, also going to be uh, working for almost every Southeastern event for the next several months. So uh, we'll get into a little bit of all that today. Well, where are we going to get started with? That's a lot to get going. That's August. Are we going to finish up with July, you said? Yes, we're actually just going to, you know, I'd like to begin with a short recap of last week's uh, July 25th, 1975 show regarding uh, the beginning of my heel turn uh, to babyface. And uh, and I wrestled both the Wright brothers. For those that didn't listen to the last, last studcast, didn't have a chance to hear it. Uh, I wrestled both the, the Wright brothers in a handicap match. Pretty stupid of me. And I put up my mustache against their mustaches. And uh, they wanted the hair match, but uh, neither one of them had enough hair for me to put up my hair against both of their hair. So, uh, and then I beat Don Wright, and then I lost to his brother, uh, Ron, uh, right after I beat one of the Wright brothers. And uh, and then I refused to allow anybody in the ring to cut my mustache. And uh, after every baby face on the card had tried, and I'd thrown them over the top rope and, and pretty much controlled the ring, and I had a chair, and I wouldn't let anybody in. Uh, my brother comes down on that night back in April. I mean, uh, he hadn't been there since April of 75, and he comes down to the ring, and I finally allow him to to shave my mustache off and funny we're talking about it but that's the point where i got it shaved and i don't think i grew that mustache back for a long long time after that uh till uh probably 1978 when i get ready to open southeastern in pensacola uh we filmed the match i just spoke of and also some of the first ever uh, steel southeastern cage match, steel cage match uh, with a brand new cage that we had just had built, and that was with the assassin and Tommy Siegler. And on Saturday, July 26, 75, we did a very powerful TV to promote the first Knoxville matches in August for August 1st in 1975. And uh, I'll just jump right into that card uh, for that night of August 1st, 1975. Paul Diamond wrestled against Sam Bass. Uh, Sam Bass at this point is managing the new German heel team that's making their first appearance on this program here and also working early matches on each Friday night card. And that's an arrangement that I had made with Sam and he and I talked about it. I've been friends with him. I'd worked in Memphis a lot already and uh, we had spent a lot of time together. And we worked out an arrangement where he could work. I'd let him wrestle in the first couple of matches every Friday night 
and then manage his boys, and I would pay him what his boys made as his payoff, which gave him a little more money and a little more incentive to come and to wrestle and to to manage too, and uh, worked out well for me, and it worked out well for Sam. And I really like Sam Bass. Uh, it's a horrible thing once he once he has that horrible wreck, uh, but uh, he becomes a very good friend of mine. Second match on that show of August the first is Frank Morrell versus me. I'm down to second match because I've lost my mustache, and I'm trying to make that switch. I want to do it slowly here. So I don't want to take all the heat off myself, but I figure by shaving off that Fu Manchu is going to take a little heat away from me. And it kind of makes it easier for me to make this move from heel to babyface. Uh, so I'm still a heel and kind of in like a state of limbo, I guess you would call it. And, uh, and I could complete the switch from babyface to heel, uh, uh, or heel to baby face, the combination of the assassin and rock hunter. And uh, those were my two top heels. So I decided to make this switch, not with my brother, as I made the switch in Memphis earlier in 75, but I'm going to do it with rock hunter and the assassin. And uh, I won this match, but uh, barely as Frank Morrell, he's going to play a big, big role in what happens in my switch, but it's going to be in the most unexpected way. The crowd still booed me, but you could tell the small drop off of heat from the loss of my mustache was there. But uh, I was still basically a heel this night uh, of August the 1st. Uh, third match on that card was a Southern Tag Team Championship match between the brand new Carl Von Steiger and Otto Von Heller team managed by Sam Bass. And they're going up against my brother, Robert and Jimmy Golden is Robert's second appearance this time that he's come in. It was the Germans' first match in Knoxville, and it ended in the 30-minute time limit draw. It was a great match with two great teams really going at it. The fans loved it, especially after the 20-minute mark. The last 10 minutes of that match, as I remember having watched it, there wasn't anybody sitting down. I mean, the crowd really got into it because these two German boys are good, and Rob and Jimmy were just uh, naturals as a tag team. Fourth match was Rock Hunter versus Ron Wright. This one featured two brawlers and obviously had some blood in it. The assassin got involved in the match at the end, and he basically won the match for his close friend, Hunter. Ron Wright would get even later in the main event because the next match, the main event is the assassin versus Tommy Sigler. So the assassin comes down gets involved in the hunters match. And then, uh, Ron Wright's going to go back and get even with him in the very next match. And that's a Texas death match between the assassin and Tommy Sigler. Ron Wright turned the deed, like I said, to the assassin and it cost the assassin the match. All of the last three matches were recorded for TV the following day. Uh, speaking of TV, let's look at the TV of Saturday, July 26th. That's going to promote the Knoxville card that I just talked about. And we had been having a mini tournament every week on TV for about four weeks in a row at this point. And the winner of this tournament is going to be crowned the first Southeastern Wrestling Television Champion on the program of August the 9th. And, uh, I love the idea of having a TV champion to draw attention to the new station for one, to add another champion to Southeastern wrestling. We didn't have a lot of champions at this point. Didn't even have a Southeastern heavyweight champion at this point. And it, and to drive ratings with title defenses on the television show. 
Uh, having a television champions made a lot of sense for a lot of reason. Uh, July was an Arbitron and a Nielsen TV ratings month. And I just learned about these rating companies from the sales manager, manager at my new television station, WBIR. His name was Lynn Lepper. He was a great guy. And uh, he loved the TV champion idea. Uh, he gave me quite an education about how these rating numbers from the four July TV shows would affect the station's price for commercial spots going forward, the spots that they're going to sell to their advertisers and how much they can charge for them. And it's also going to affect my reporting, the production of my audience, and, and it will affect my continued relationship with the station if my numbers aren't good. I'm not going to be in position to stay on this big station that I'm on. So these numbers are important to me. And I realize what July means. And it's going to happen the same in February. And uh, it will happen in November, about three times a year. There were actually four books, maybe a May book. But the July book was not a significant one for most people. But for me, every one of these rating periods were really, really important. Uh, many promoters and owners around the world at that time were knowledgeable about the importance of these rating months. They didn't do anything for them. They didn't even realize they were going on. Uh, and uh, there were only four guys remaining in that TV championship race at this point, the Assassin, Ron Wright, Rock Hunter, and Tommy Siegler. And on this show, Tommy Siegler would be facing the Assassin, and it would be in the last match. Ron, if I could ask you a question, before you get to Knoxville, you sat in on so much stuff from a young age, from your father being a partner in the Georgia promotion to being involved in Florida. So you heard a lot of things and you were around a lot of people. Were many wrestling promoters ever talking about ratings? Do you remember any conversations about ratings before this period of time? I don't remember the discussion of ratings at all, uh, prior to getting into the sport. And I really don't remember hearing about it much. Now, I think my father and Eddie were certainly aware of uh, the Nielsen and the Arbitron months. And uh, they, they, tried, they tried to do something for that program. But uh, I start this program in July with uh, trying to find a television champion, promoting it in July because of my discussion with Lynn Lepper at the station. And he says, Ron, July is very important. What are you going to do? And I was like, wait a minute, why is it so important? And he kind of set me down and explained it all to me. And I was like, wow, you're right, Lynn. Uh, yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a uh, championship tournament for the television champion. And uh, he really loved the idea. He said, gosh, that's great, man. Uh, get it started in July. It will help you in July. And we ended it up. We're going to end it up, uh, like I say, about the second week in August. The TV opens with Southern Tag Champions, Carl Von Steiger and Otto Von Heller, managed by Sam Bass in their first appearance ever for Southeastern Wrestling against Rocky Smith and DeVoy Brunson. They wear their belts into the ring, and Sam Bass joins them. And then uh, after he takes the belts off, uh, he brings them with him and brings them to the desk, and he goes to the desk and sits with Les Thatcher to watch the match. He doesn't stay at ringside. I thought that was a good thing for him to do because we're going to get to listen to him interview some and uh, see what he's all about. Uh, this was a very smooth team and an impressive with a lot of tags and great teamwork. 
Uh, And then it's one of my first times to see them as well. I was really impressed with this team. It wasn't like the last guys that came through, the outlaws, that uh, had no possibility of being a strong team for me. These guys look really good. Uh, Bass sold them really well as the greatest tag team in the world uh, while he's there talking with Les. And after their win, Bass uh, goes to the ring, and he raises their hands, and he brings them with him to the set. And uh, it's a great start for the show. I mean, uh, you know, when you've got guys like that that are brand new, they go out there and give you a great win like that. And, and the uh, baskets, the heat he gets while sitting at the desk. Uh, it's really a good start for the program. We have our commercial break and Rob and Jimmy show up at the set for the first bit of fond of the following Friday night card with them uh, facing the tag team champions that had just worked in the ring. And they were impressed with the team too, having never seen them before, but upset that their title match for the following Friday night was a very unusual 30-minute time limit match. It was the first time they were going to wrestle with these guys, the wrestling for the Southern Tag Championship, but the match is only a 30-minute time limit. They couldn't understand why they didn't get the standard 60-minute time limit championship match, and they asked Les about it during their interview, and Les agreed with them, and he promised to get them an answer to that question before the show was over. They left the set with a great ovation and went straight to the ring for the second match of the show, and uh, which was a quick win over Tony Peters and Rick Connors. And I got a really f- good feeling about Jimmy and Robert as a team. I hadn't, uh, hadn't seen him work much as a team. We'd never been around Jimmy, Rob, and I much. And it was, for me, one of the first times that I got to see them as a team. And, uh, wow, they got a huge welcome from the studio audience. And Jimmy had earned that welcome, but Robert was over as much as possible for a babyface that had only worked three Southeastern matches at this point. And one of the reasons he's over is because of what had happened the week before, and he was the guy that shaved my mustache. So it did exactly what I was hoping it would do. It got him pushed and over quicker than he probably would have gotten there. Personality profile was pre-recorded with the assassin this week. Rock Hunter came on with him, and the assassin had done Rock Hunter's personality profile the week before. Same thing. Uh, these guys are inseparable, it seems, uh, at this point, and I want it to be that way. Les tried his best to get control of the profile, but the two of them had their own agenda. Uh, Les called for the director to run the video of the end of the Southeastern Wrestling's first cage match with uh, the assassin and uh, Tommy Sigler. It clearly showed Ron Wright helping Tommy Sigler by passing him something through the cage because he didn't have any chance of getting over this monster cage that we had built. It was just, uh, it was impregnable. You couldn't get in it. And uh, so, you know, Ron Wright did his best to help Sigler and he actually uh, you know, was able to help him. And the two of them, uh, they stopped less right away when he started running this cage match. Uh, you know, Assassin doesn't want to show himself getting losing the match. And, uh, and he told the director to put up that Ron Fuller mustache match from the night before. And they started laughing as soon as it hit the screen at the spot where I was finally in a chair and my brother Rob was shaving my mustache in front of the crowd. Uh, Les was very upset about their ordering the director to do anything, and the two of them thinking that it was okay for them to run any video they wanted. He told them it better not happen again. Uh, then Les asked the director to stop the video. Now, now the two guests were very upset with Les, and out of nowhere, 
I arrive on the scene. I reminded the assassin that he and I were still the Tennessee Chag champions, but we had not defended the title since June 20th, 1975, which was more, way more than a month preceding this. And, uh, and I asked him what the problem was between us and why was it that Rock Hunter, who's standing there with him, uh, your bosom buddy here, why, why is it uh, that you are so happy with him and I'm your champion partner? And I also said this was the fourth straight week the two of them had been together on every TV show, which was the truth. Uh, the assassin started answering in his same cold and calculating style. He said, I'll tell you what the problem is between the two of us. I never liked you Fullers. Your father, Buddy Fuller, and his crony, Ray Gunkle, wrestled against me and my real assassin partner in many Georgia Tag Team Championship matches in the late 1960s. You know, he, and he says, bragging, you know, I'm, I'm one half of the greatest tag team that ever lived, the Assassins. Uh, we beat the hell out of you and your brother when you punk started in 1970, he said. Remember that? <laughs> and I just had the first Southeastern cage match ever with Tommy Siegler last Friday. What did you do last Friday night, Ron? And uh, I hesitated because, heck, I was I was on the second match. <laughs> so I hesitated, and he blurted out, uh, "Yeah, you got beat by a couple of hillbillies, and he lost your mustache, didn't you, man?" So I turned to Rock Hunter, and you know, <laughs> and they and they both started laughing. You know, they 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 got a big laugh out of. It. So Les tried to calm things down. But I interrupted asking the assassin. I said, uh, did you win your cage match you had last night? Absolutely not, I said. Uh, he bristled up and Hunter moved forward like he was going to do something, you know. And, he, and then he pushed me with one hand and I shoved him almost on his rear end. I pushed him hard. And Les jumped between the three of us saying to the director, let's get out of this profile now before something bad gets started here. Uh, before the director could close the profile, though, I said to the assassin, uh, you're messing with the wrong wrestler. I can see a lot of losses in your future, man. And uh, they were both moving toward me at this point, and uh, they closed out of the profile. So step two in my switch from heel to baby face had been a success, but I wasn't through yet. Uh, we're still laying the foundation for all of this switch, and uh, this personality profile was a good good way to do it. We opened the third segment of that TV show at the set with Les. He apologized for what had just happened in the personality profile, and he explained to fans that the profile was not meant to be, not intended to be done that way. Uh, he then threw it to the ring announcer, Phil Rainey, for introduction of the third match, which was Frank Morrell, my opponent for the next Friday night, uh, against a guy named Paul Diamond. Morrell was an up-and-coming heel, and he proved it. When Diamond injured his leg, he was doing a leapfrog, and when he came down, you could see that his knee kind of went out, and he couldn't get back up on his feet. The referee asked Morrell if he was willing to call the match and, and, and call it a draw. And uh, Les picked up on that conversation, uh, which was really sharp of him. He's, he's, he, he could realize what's going on. And Les says he seems to be asking Morrell if he wants to just, uh, you know, stop the match and, and, and let it be a draw. So Morrell shook his head like, yeah, I'm going to do that. So Morrell helped Diamond up on his feet, shook his hand, and then he pile-drived him and <laughs> covered him and demanded the ref count him out. 
the ref hesitated, but finally made the three count. He had no choice, and he lifted Morell's hand to a chorus of boos from the crowd. This finish got a lot more heat than I had expected it, and it left me in a good position the next Friday night against Morell. It's going to make Morell a big heel, and that's going to help me to get over him and then start to have the fans maybe cheering for me a little bit. Didn't want it to happen full steam at this point, but I want to progress in that direction. Uh, he had just generated that much heat in his first Southeastern win. Uh, he really started to get some heat uh, with that match. After the third commercial break, Sam Bass brought in his Southern Tag Champions, Carl Von Steiger and Otto Von Heller to the set. Uh, they carefully placed their Southern Tag belts on the front of the desk. Sam Bass was a great interviewer. He started by bragging on his great team and their record of 43 straight match wins, tag match wins, uh, how they were unbeatable and capable of being world tag champions, and that was their goal. Let's stop Bass's role with a question Robert and Jimmy had asked him to find out about early in the show. He asked Bass, if your wrestlers are so great, why is it that you had the wrestling commission limit their first match here for the titles to a 30-minute time limit? And Bass was Bass was sharp. Uh, you know, Bass was like Johnny on the spot with his answer. He said, Thatcher, I have found no proof that this Fuller and Golden team has ever wrestled together more than one time in Southeastern's history. Why should my proven championship team with years of experience together be forced to agree to a 60-minute tag title match with a team that is totally unknown? He said, they're lucky to get the 30 minutes with my champions. My team is going to make fools of them in the first 15 minutes and beat them in less than 20 minutes. Uh, Sam was earning his money, and this show was really rocking. The last match on the TV show was the semifinals of the Southeastern TV Championship Tournament, Tommy Siegler versus the Assassin. This was the reason that... Uh, that Lynn Lepper wanted me to do something like this. By doing this TV tournament, I'm having a main event type of match on television. In fact, these same two guys had wrestled each other in a cage match the night before. Now they're on TV wrestling each other. It's as a perfect example of the type of matches that a TV championship could deliver. And that's why I wanted it. And that's why I felt that we really needed a TV champion. In fact, this match was the same too, as I said, uh, that from the night before in a cage. So uh, this will be the best match ever seen on Southeastern Wrestling TV so far. Siegler got a standing ovation from the crowd, and the assassin got exactly the opposite when he arrived at ringside, and he was naturally escorted by his buddy, Rock Hunter. This match went about 20 minutes with Siegler bleeding after 10 minutes from a cut uh the, the from the night before in the steel cage match, he had been bleeding, but to get started again when he's got the assassin pinned in the corner and uh, Hunter standing in that corner and the ref had to force Sigler off and away from the assassin. Sigler was really pounding on him. The ref was really trying to get him out of there. And Hunter took an object from his pants pocket, gave it to the assassin while the ref was dealing with Sigler. We had a double screen, a split screen, at this point, and we got both a perfect shot of what's going on with the referee and Siegler on one side of the ring and what's happening in the assassin's corner. The assassin loaded that gimmick into his mask, and he slumped back in the corner. 
and uh, just waiting on Sigler to return for him. Uh, when he did, Sleeker slowly drugged the assassin to his feet. Assassin blinded him with rake across the face, and then he head-butted him in the forehead. Sigler was knocked across the ring, and a ref went to check on him. The assassin took the object from his mask, handed it back to Hunter while the ref was checking on Sigler, and then the assassin took control of the match, and Sigler was just barely hanging on for the rest of that match. He started bleeding, obviously. He had already been bleeding the night before, and that headbutt uh, just brought it on. And uh, he was really, really bloody at the 20-minute marks. And But Siegler makes a big comeback at that 20-minute mark, and he has the assassin in that corner again with Rock Hunter. And the ref forces Siegler away from the corner again, and Hunter goes in his pocket again for the object. And uh, I'm back in the just behind the camera range where people can't see me out of the range of the studio people. And I'm basically right behind Rock Hunter. I just step out of nowhere uh, from off camera and uh, nail Hunter from behind before he can pass his gimmick to the assassin. And uh, when Hunter goes down to get the object. Now, the assassin slowly getting to his knees with his back to me. And when he turns his head, hanging over the second rope and reaches out with his hand thinking that that hunter's there and going to pass him the object i give him a shot man and I, i've got the object in my hand and and down he goes and uh siegler was a bloody mess at that point and, and down with the referee standing standing bent over him with his back to me he doesn't see me there at all the ref i make a hasty retreat before the ref looks back my way and hunter's still down too siegler crawls over and covers the assassin the ref counts him out the studio crowd erupts at a level that sounds like more than a thousand people instead of about the 300 or so that would fit into that studio. Ron, any issue with the television station about blood on the air? No, never had a problem. Never had an issue with it at all. In fact, uh, as far as I can remember, I don't remember ever having operated a television station that did have a problem with it until 1988 when I sell Continental and I come back to Knoxville and I start USA Championship Wrestling. And uh, we had a bloody match in on that program that was really, really unusually bad against uh, a young boy that... Uh, was probably 18 years old and the Mongolian stomper. And, and they, they black, they didn't black his face out. They blurred his face when he got really bloody so that the fans couldn't see it and people at home couldn't see it. But other than that, never had a problem with blood on TV. And I know a lot of people that did, but uh, I think my ratings were so high and so good that the stations were, they didn't feel comfortable with uh, complaining about anything. They were just happy to have us there. So that wasn't the actual end of the episode, was it? There's still more on that episode of Southeastern? Well, uh, for the first time, Southeastern Wrestling, uh, we set up the last interview and with both opponents in separate studios. Uh, for the first time ever, uh, we put one of us in the uh, studio that we did the personality profile from and the second one on the set with Les. We'd never done that before. Uh, and it gave us the opportunity to hear both sides of the story in two minutes. Uh, Les began that segment with Siegler at the set. He was still bleeding and, uh, and it made a really inspiring interview about the upcoming Texas death match he had between him and the assassin, uh, the next Friday night. And he says, uh, he's happy to win the TV tournament. 
and uh, be in the finals. They're happy to won this tournament match and be in the finals, but he isn't sure how he won. He doesn't at this point remember how the hell he even won the match. And I wasn't too surprised because he'd been through quite a bit in the last 24 hours. Uh, less than through the interview to Studio B where the assassin and rock hunter were waiting with Phil Rainey. They explode into screams about my interference and how they are going to get even now. The assassin covered the Texas death match and Hunter focused on his upcoming match with Ron Wright. With about 30 seconds remaining in the interview, Phil Rainey throws it back to the list, and I'm with him now in the main studio. Crowd's now cheering me for the first time ever in Southeastern. They, are, they have decided I'm not a heel anymore. I am a babyface. I made the interview short and sweet. I remind fans of what I said in the personality profile earlier in the show. I remind them I told the assassin I could see a lot of losses in his future, and this is just the beginning of it. And, uh, and the same goes for you too, Rock Hunter. I threw his name into it for the first time as well. It was another great TV. Uh, again, I couldn't wait to see what we would draw the following Friday night. Well, before we get there, Ron, let's take a quick break and let's hear a word about the latest Super Studcast, part one. Super Studcast number 21, this featuring Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Fans all over the world are constantly complimenting the stud for his tremendous super studcast looks into wrestling's history and the stars who made that history. Super Studcast number 21 with Brutus the Barber Beefcake is another example of the excellence of these three-hour shows at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. This last fantastic super studcast has already broken another record. Part 2 of number 21 will be released on Tuesday, September 24th. If you're a Studcast fan and do not listen to Super Studcast, you are missing some of the Stud's best work at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Only $2.99 per month. You can also become a patron and support all the Tennessee Stud's great work. Thanks for your consideration. Where are you here at Super Studcast number 21 out right now for patrons of the Studcast at tnstud.com or patreon.com Slash studcast here, Brutus the Barber Beefcake for over 90 minutes with the Tennessee Stud talking about all sorts of things, including this was interesting. Who took liberties with him in the ring when he started out in Mid South Wrestling? A lot of really interesting little tidbits, as well as those big stories like the parasailing accident. Check it out today, tnstud.com or patreon.com/slash studcast. Ron, before the break. You said you couldn't wait to see how this show was going to do on Friday night. I guess that sets it up perfectly. How did the show do on Friday night? The show did pretty darn good. It did uh, almost 4,000 fans, right about 3,800 fans in Chihuahua Park Amphitheater. We're lucky. We got no rain, but we're outside. There was about an 11,400 gross house with a total payoff of about 3,200 for 12 total guys, not counting me. The bottom boys, Paul Diamond, Frank Morrell, and the ref got 150. The five guys in the tag match got 300 each. That was Robert, Jimmy, the two Germans, and Sam Bass, the manager. And the top four guys, Ron Wright, Rock Hunter, Tommy Siegler, and the Assassin, made $350 that night. Not a bad payoff for 1975. And uh, they all were happy with, uh, with what they got. Uh, so now, Brian, let's talk about the card for the following 
August the 8th, 1975, the next week. Uh, the opening two matches for that one are DeVoy Brunson versus Don Wright and Sam Bass versus Les Thatcher. Both of those matches were 20-minute time limit draws. This allowed me to not have to beat Les Thatcher, my commentator, nor Sam Bass, the manager of my German team. Uh, and that was good. Uh, third match was me again against Frank Morell for the second week in a row. I was now being cheered by the crowd due to what had happened on the last TV. Morell was now a solid heel after what he had done on the last TV. I won this one, but Morell looked good even though he lost. This card was headlined by a double main event. The first one was Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden versus the Southern Tag Champs Carl Von Steiger and Otto Von Heller, managed by Sam Bass for the Southern Tag Championship. And this time, it's a best two out of three falls and a 60-minute time limit rather than the 30-minute time limit. Uh, Sam Bass saved his team from losing in the third fall, and they were disqualified and saved their belts while Rob and Jimmy were declared the winners. Second main event was a special challenge match between the Assassin and Rock Hunter versus Tommy Siegler and Ron Wright. Again, I wasn't paired with my Tennessee Tag Championship partner, the Assassin. The Assassin and Rock Hunter would win by disqualification because I'm going to get involved in that match, but not for them. I'm going to get involved and help Siegler and Wright beat them. And uh, so they got disqualified. Uh, they raised the hand, the, the Assassin and Hunter. And, uh, you know, I wasn't too happy about that part of it, but I certainly didn't want to see the Assassin and Rock Hunter win. And we had recorded the last two matches on that August 1st show to replay on the TV show of August 2nd. And uh, let's take a look at that TV show of August 2nd that's going to promote the card of August the 8th here. On that TV show of August 2nd, it was going to be the last semifinal match for Southeastern Television Championship. Tommy Siegler had made it to the finals in last week's TV where he where I got involved and caused the assassin to lose. And then the semifinal match on this TV would be Ron Wright versus Rock Hunter. The winner would meet Tommy Sigler for the Southeastern TV Championship the following Saturday. The opening TV match was Tommy Sigler versus Sputnik Monroe. This was a great match with Sputnik taking it to Sigler and Tommy having to dig deep to win it. I joined Les at the set after the match to watch a very unusual replay of the week before's semifinal match for the television championship that I was involved in. Uh, and he started out, Les, by saying that he had been notified by the Southeastern promoters to speak to me on this show about my interference last week in a match of extreme importance and that it would not be tolerated again. The studio audience booed him. And I got a big smile on my face. I realized then that, yeah, maybe I am beginning to get over some as a baby face. Uh, Thatcher got serious real quick saying, uh, I want to make this perfectly clear that any interference by you today in this semifinal match will cost you dearly. And I've been told that by the Southeastern promoters to pass that word to you. And it will cost you in more ways than just money. It was crazy, but I was the real promoter. And I was putting the heat on the perceived promoters. <laughs> kind of worked out to be a good deal that I wasn't saying I was the promoter. Now I can knock the promoters if I wanted to. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's kind of a crazy situation. But the fans booed again, and he asked the director to roll a video replay of the end of that very important TV match from last week. 
It began, obviously, with Siegler already bleeding from a headbutt, uh, not shown where the assassin was passed a foreign object from his friend Rock Hunter at ringside and obviously inserted to do his mask. I had him stop the video replay immediately, and I said, wait a minute, that did not go back far enough for everyone to see that Rock Hunter had passed the assassin something to bust Tommy Siegler's head open with. The crowd was keeping up with the video and the monitors around the studio, and they cheered. They like, yeah, you're right, you're right, Ron. And uh, they were already into it, and I obviously agreed, and they obviously agreed with me, thank goodness. Les was obviously upset, and since I was still somewhat a heel, he said, uh, I'm in control here on this show, and you don't have the right to stop any video without my consent. I said, very nice and politely, okay, I understand. But what is not shown here is that this was the second time Hunter and the Assassin conspired to win this match using the same foreign object. Uh, everybody watching this match last week knows why I got involved. But there's some people out here, less that didn't get to see last week's program, and I wanted them to know what had happened. Uh, and it started again with the second time in the match when uh, and then Les says, let's see that tape and roll it again. And uh, it started the same place it started the first time. And then uh, the second time uh, it showed the match where Hunter was about to pass the object to the assassin. And, uh, and it showed me nailing him from behind, taking the object, uh, exactly what I did the week before, uh, nailing the assassin with it. The assassin goes back and Siegler crawls over there and covers him. The wind, the same, obviously, as the week earlier. Uh, everybody in the audience was alive and alert, man. It was a great way to open the show. And when the video was done, Les looked at me and said, that video is exactly why you are out here. The promoters have told me to inform you and the assassin that neither of you will be allowed in the studio when today's semifinal match for the TV championship is on. The crowd booed, but I smiled and said, the promoters can't keep me from watching it somewhere. As it happens, uh, even if I had to go up to the control booth upstairs, I'm going to go watch that match. And the crowd responded with a huge cheer as I left the set. Uh, with this opening, I had put a tremendous amount of attention on the TV championship, the angle turning me babyface, and certainly the rest of this TV show. The assassin, Rock Hunter, then joined Les a couple of minutes later for the first interview. Les repeated the same demand to the assassin as he had to me just minutes before about no interference in the TV match later in the show between Ron Wright and Rock Hunter. The assassin went crazy, saying it was way too late for the promoters to get involved after they let Ron Fuller get away with costing me the TV championship shot. You know, he claimed to be a man of integrity. <laughs> he says, I am a man of integrity, unlike Fuller, and I would do nothing to change the outcome of any match anywhere, uh, as Fuller does. So both the assassin and the hunter then talked about how good they were together as a team and how they would take care of both opponents, Ron Wright and Tommy Siegler, next Friday at the park, and that Ron Fuller better not get involved anymore in their business or I was going to get hurt real bad. The crowd was very vocal with their dislike for these two, who were, by that point, very hot heels. You happy being a babyface so far? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is this what you wanted? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I, I felt like it, it needed to be done, and uh, and I was happy with the way it was developing. I didn't intend for it to be like Dusty's turn, which was a one night event. Uh, 
a just spontaneous, and all of a sudden he goes from being a heel to a super baby face. I wanted to do it based around my interaction with the assassin and Rock Hunter. And in order to do that, I need more than one event and more than one match to be able to get it right. And I'm headed in the right direction here. I'm pretty happy with I see the crowd is buying it. And uh, if they buy it, that's what I'm really interested in. The second TV match was with Frank Morrell getting his second win on TV against Tommy Rich. And it was a great match. And Tommy Rich was really improving fast at this point as a young wrestler and headed toward being a star for Jerry Jarrett in Memphis. Frank Morrell made a great interview uh, after beating Tommy uh, about meeting me for the second week in a row in Knoxville. He promised the assassin and rock hunter that he would personally take care of me early in the night next Friday, and they need not be concerned about me costing them another win ever. Personality profile was the Southern Tag Champions, Carl Von Steiger and Otto Von Heller with their manager, Sam Bass, and all three of those guys dressed in suits. It's exactly what lesson I wanted for these personality profiles. They definitely look like champions, standing tall and proud behind old Sam Bass, who was sitting on the set with Les. Les did a great job taking Sam Bass back to a couple of months earlier when he was managing Ron and Don Bass right here in the Southeastern Wrestling. Uh, Bass didn't like it, <laughs> saying... This was a real team, and he gestured when he said that toward the two guys standing behind him and that he didn't realize how good they were until they destroyed his Don and Ron Bass team uh, for the Southern Tag Championship in New Orleans, Louisiana, just a month earlier. Les said he was aware of that match and how Sam had turned on the Bass boys and Don Bass had been injured badly and might never wrestle again after that match. For the first time in the interview, both Germans laughed out loud and Sam Bass joined them. Les had to stop the three of them from their laughter with a video of their last match from the night before with Robert and Jimmy. It showed the last three minutes of pandemonium in the park at the amphitheater when Rob and Jimmy were just kicking the hell out of these two boys. Uh, and uh, they almost won that 30-minute time limit match again and again. Uh, and the time ran out on them because obviously it wasn't long enough. Bass was forced to give them credit because he would have been a fool not to, considering what the fans were seeing on the video. Bass said he and his Germans had underestimated these two country boys but he'd be ready and they'd be ready next Friday night because it would be a best out of two out of three falls and a normal 60 minute time limit for that match. Les asked Bask if he really had just underestimated how good Robert and Jimmy were, or was the reason really that Bass had arranged in advance for a 30 minute time limit in the match they were watching because he knew his German would possibly lose. Bass got more upset and accused Les of being biased because the two of them were going to be wrestling against each other in the next Friday night event in Knoxville. He continued with Les. I mean, he was really getting on Les at this point. He asked Les, uh, how could you be a TV commentator on Saturdays and a wrestler during the week? Les shot back right at Bass. He said, he asked Bass, uh, how could you be a wrestler and a manager at the same time? And it was starting to get heated up, the personality profile, as the two Germans moved in the direction of Les. Les stood up 
Uh, and Bass did also, grabbing his two Germans by the arm and he's saying to Les, uh, we'll see you next Friday night. I mean, all three of us. And they walked off the profile, the personality profile set. First guys to ever walk away from the set before it was supposed to end. And uh, uh, Les apologized to the fans uh, right then. And uh, he said, this is very difficult. And, uh, and, and But it was a difficult and an effective personality profile. And it was definitely going to help the crowd the following Friday night. Third segment was all golden and full. They won a very great, good tag match as the segment began. Crowd poured out their affection, man, for the new team as they dominated Tony Peters and Rocky Smith. They went straight to the set with Les and introduced the same video that Bass and the Germans basically failed to talk about at all and the personality profile from the segment before. Robert and Jimmy did a good job of focusing on the video and how it was obvious that it had a great chance to win the Southern Tag Championship the following Friday night when the title match is going to be two out of three falls in a 60-minute time limit. They also thanked Les for standing up for them and asking Bass why their tag match they had just watched was only a 30-minute time limit. They also added before leaving that they had watched the personality profile in the dressing room and they saw Bass threaten him about all three of them going to come down to the ring for his match against Les the following Friday night. They said, Les, you don't need to worry about that because they're going to be going to the ring with him and we're going to be going to the ring with you. The crowd loved the entire interview. It all got over great. The last match was a much-anticipated semifinals of the Southeastern TV Championship with Ron Wright versus Rock Hunter. Both men arrived at the ring without an escort, as demanded by the Southeastern promoters in advance. They had a great match that now had more meaning than ever. Ron Wright had his first opportunity in a long time to use his infamous chisel on somebody. Rock Hunter wasn't crazy about the idea, but had guts enough to allow it, and wow, did he bleed. I mean, um, Ron got him a good one. Hunter was bloody down to his waist and all but beaten when he stopped Ron Wright by raking his eyes and grabbed a headlock in desperation. Wright fired Hunter straight into the referee, and both Hunter and the ref went down. Wright covered Hunter, but the ref was still down. Wright had to get up, and he went over to help the referee regain his feet, and he had his back to Hunter. Hunter still on his back. Uh, but he reached up with both feet and kicked him in the rear end, and it sent right over top of the referee through the ropes head first and out on the concrete. Suddenly, a masked man in a black hood and a red outfit that covered his entire body hobbled out with an obvious limp to Wright, who was struggling to get to his feet. The masked man grabbed Ron Wright from behind, head-butted him in the back of the head, and limped away. The unidentifiable masked man disappeared as quickly as he came. Hunter was getting the ref back on his feet in the ring and showed the ref. Ron Wright laying prone on the floor uh, outside the ring. Ref got up, made the 10 count on Wright over a tremendous roar of disapproval from the studio audience who had seen somebody put Wright down there. Uh, Less than the studio crowd were trying to figure out who the masked man definitely was, but everybody knew and that's what made it so beautiful and controversial. The ref raised Hunter's hand on one of the hottest finishes in Southeastern wrestling history at that point. Tommy Siegler and a groggy Ron Wright ended the show with a great interview. Siegler took most of the first part because Ron Wright was still selling. All three were asking the same question. 
who was the masked man. Siegler and Wright were pretty sure it had to be the assassin, but they'd never seen anyone in that combination of mask and outfit, and especially with a limp like this guy had. Les called for a second instant replay, so Siegler and Ron Wright could see it for the first time, because obviously Ron Wright couldn't see it, and Siegler probably wasn't in a position in the studio or out in the dressing room to see it. The first instant replay had shown a couple of minutes earlier before the station took its commercial break. No wrestling show on the planet could do what we were doing here on this occasion because we were the only one doing instant replays. The finish was great because it still presented unanswered questions because of the outfit and the limp. Les closed the interview after Ron Wright promised a good old Tennessee dog whipping for whoever that masked man was. Uh, Les ended the show with questions and controversy about the last match. He also reminded fans that either way, next Saturday would be the match for the Southeastern TV Championship, and that would be Tommy Siegler, against Rock Hunter. And this show, in my opinion, was one of the 10 all-time best Southeastern television programs in Knoxville history. Ron, in general, how did you like to end the show? Did you like having like a big hot ending and the show goes off the air like that? Did you like having a more subdued ending? How did you prefer to end the show? I like to have the hot, hot ending. I always like to leave fans at home. I, I, I kind of pictured... Uh, the perfect household watching my wrestling match would be at the end of the show, standing up on their feet and saying, where can we get a ticket? Can I get one of these tickets in advance? You know? And, uh, so, you know, this, this show was, it was really rocked. And uh, that's why, you know, that's why they call it the main event. You put it on last. Uh, we put this time, the TV championship semifinals match on last. It made sense. It had a great angle involved in it. Uh, left the people questioning who was that guy you know i mean obviously there's not a lot of people that look like jody hamilton <laughs> the original assassin uh, but uh but uh, the limp uh the limp that this guy had really confused everybody and the fact that they had never seen the assassin in that that type of outfit at all so it was really good I was very, very happy with it, and it ended up, I think, and I'm thinking, selling tickets come next Friday. Well, Ron, as we wrap things up, we want to remind the listeners that you can stay in touch with the Tennessee Stud on Facebook. The page, Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud. Of course, you can follow the Stud on Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcasts. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts for classic wrestling talk and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast. We've mentioned Super Studcast number 21 several times already. What we didn't mention is thank you, because it's another record breaker. We appreciate all the support for the Super Studcast from you, the patrons of the Studcast. Part two of this month's Super Studcast Spectacular will be coming at you on Tuesday, September 24th. Listen up and hear what it'll be. I'm sure you will really enjoy it. And thank you to everyone who's already checked out Brutus the Barber Beefcake. On part one, check it out today, tnstud.com or patreon.com 
slash studcast for only $2.99 to get in the door. It is the best deal in wrestling. Ron, where are we going next week right here on the studcast? Well, we're going to begin where we left off this week and give the gate and the payoffs for August 8, 1975. I didn't have quite enough time to get all that into this show. We're going to talk about the most unusual match on Friday, August 15th, in which the results of a singles match will decide who the new Tennessee Tag Champions are. Uh, we're going to describe the Big Southeastern TV Championship match on Saturday, August the 9th, on the next studcast, and continue on the path of my turn from heel to babyface in August of 1975. Ron Fuller's studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller, I'm the great Brian Last. The story continues next week. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.